We're back in the world of Lucha Underground today, finishing up the epic trilogy of matches between Phoenix and Mil Muertes. Since these matches form one long narrative, I'd strongly recommend that before you listen any further, you go back and listen to the previous two episodes featuring these two, Grave Consequences and Deathmatch. Be warned, beyond here lie spoilers. Okay? Okay. So, Mil Muertes, the man of a thousand deaths, lost a fight on a fluke to Phoenix, the man who rises from the ashes. In response, Mil Muertes' sexy psychopomp Katrina used Phoenix to send Mil back to the land of the dead and resurrected him stronger than ever. Although Phoenix had also become stronger, he was ultimately unable to defeat Mil in a brutal death match. Then their paths diverged for a while, albeit in parallel. Mil Muertes continued his path of destruction, winning the Lucha Underground Championship from Prince Puma. On the same night, however, Phoenix won the Gift of the Gods Championship. It doesn't have the prestige of a world title, but it does have one very important perk. With one week's notice, the holder of this title can demand a match with the Lucha Underground Champion, no questions asked. Today, on I Hate Wrestling, it's part three of Phoenix vs. Mil Muertes, Gift of the Gods. track testing testing i like the look of that testing testing great fantastic julian how's the chicken chicken's great it's good uh, the name of this establishment is uh is chicken holiday chicken holiday <laughs> chicken is worth an entire holiday <laughs> there should be a chicken day i'm not sure why there isn't a chicken day there probably is a chicken day and we just don't know about it maybe the lesson is that every day is chicken day Every day is chicken day. <laughs> you know, like, chicken is so good that, like, in numerous religious traditions, like, people, like, when they practice animal sacrifice, they sacrifice chickens because even the gods like chicken. Like, chicken's <laughs> fucking amazing. Chicken's good stuff. And it's, you know, it's everywhere. For, for something that is so good and so versatile. I think there are m more chickens than humans on Earth. Am I not... That might be true, yeah. I think that sounds right. That sounds like a Snapple fact. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in further news, did you know that elephants can't jump? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> that. That is true. That's also a Snapple fact. I've seen a lot of pictures of, like, elephants on, like, those big balls. Yes. You know? I guess they had to, like, carefully step on. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just, uh, they're too heavy. Mm. And I, I don't really know under what circumstances an elephant would need to jump. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you think about it, why... Actually, you know what? This That's not true, because I have played Donkey Kong Country 3 for the <laughs> Super Nintendo, and you can ride an elephant in that, and her name is Ellie, and she can jump. <laughs> so... Also, you could be in the desert, and you have to jump from, like, one cliff to another, so you're escaping <laughs> Jafar or something. <laughs> This is like some kind of Kingdom Hearts scenario <laughs> where Jafar is hunting elephants. Jafar, Jafar versus Dumbo. <laughs> ah, that's fun. Julian, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back. Today is a momentous occasion because we are finally going to cap off a saga, a trilogy really, but an epic saga that we have been following for the better part of a year. Episode 5 of this show, which I think we probably recorded in August of last year, or something like that, Yeah, was the first match in the series between Mil Muertes and Phoenix in Grave Consequences. And Grave Consequences, I think, was kind of a revelation to you when we were first watching it. Right, it was. So what was it, if you recall, if you can think back to... That long ago. What was it about Grave Consequences that was revelatory to you? I think that, like, the context of the show is basically, like, the, the arena acted almost like a kind of, like, altar or, like, a ritual stage. There was, like, a symbol at the center. And it was, like, this sort of fight between the wrestlers for this sort of, like, ascent out of this, like, material hell, right? 
Yes. There are fascinating dynamics between uh, the promoter, who is this uh, sort of like Spaniard, and the sort of Mexican um, or more like indigenous looking uh, sort of fighters that were all connected to these ancient lineages, these ancient martial lineages. And it was just a really, I'm not sure if it was the first or the second episode where um, Mil Muertes was taken out on the coffin. And he has a special relationship to death, um, this liminal figure that exists in the space between life and death. Yeah, so these are some of the things that I remember. That was Grave Consequences. And that was the battle that he has with Phoenix, where ultimately Katrina, who is this psychopomp figure, and is his mentor, their relationship is ultimately unclear, but she was aligned with him. Right. And at the end of this match, she sides with Phoenix, and together they put Mil Muertes in this casket, and he's right. taken away by the spirits of the dead. These right. uh, beings on stilts in, like, the Sugar Skull... Right. makeup and they're taken to the underworld right i guess and then we see that katrina has brought him back from the other side and when she brings him back he's undergone some physical changes he's changed from his weird blue pants to like a black pant right, right, right. and also his eyes are white so he's got this physical signifier that he's undergone this change and when he comes back, he battles Phoenix again in what they call the death match. Hmm. And the first time it was mostly Mil Muertes. Phoenix barely survived. The second time, Phoenix was actually seemed to have gotten stronger and was putting up more of a fight. Right. But ultimately, Mil Muertes puts it together and strings together this massive series of moves and winds right. up hurling him through right, the right. roof of Dario Cueto's office, right. which if we're looking at Dario Cueto as uh, as a devil figure, yeah. and this is you know his domain, Phoenix is literally being sent to hell. Right, right, right. And then he was taken, you know, his unconscious form was taken out of the, the office by the disciples of death, right. who were his like weird putty patrollers. And that episode ended, I think, with Phoenix being carried like in a Christ pose to the right. ring and Mil Muertes standing over him with the disciples of death and Katrina around him. So the second phase of their battle ends with death triumphant. And that takes us to the third phase of this rivalry. Hmm. Phoenix is okay. He's surviving because that's what he does, right? He's he he bounces back. Yeah. Mil Muertes is not just surviving, he's thriving. Mm. Mil Muertes following his definitive defeat of Phoenix, which he had not been able to accomplish before, right. goes on to capture the Lucha Underground Championship. Right. So, he ends season 2 of the show. Mm. I think it's actually the end of season 1 which Mil Muertes ends you know, at the pinnacle of his strength. Yeah. He's vanquished Prince Puma, who's the first champion. Right. And he's built up to be the protagonist of the show, like the chosen one. Right. Mil Mortes defeats him. He's defeated Phoenix, who is his primary rival before this. And also, his disciples of death have become the trio's champions. Right. Instead of tag teams, uh, tag team championships, Lucha Underground had trio's championships. So, all of the active wrestlers that are aligned with him are holding gold. Katrina is back at his side and they are sort of at the peak of their strength. However, at the same show where Mil Muertes wins the Lucha Underground Championship, Phoenix wins a new championship that was just introduced, hmm. which is called the Gift of the Gods Championship. Now, this is a really interesting concept because it's a belt with seven compartments mm. and each one of the compartments has an indentation where you put in a medallion or an amulet okay. that represents one of the seven tribes mm. that the fighters are supposedly descended from. Right. So in the lead up to this match, essentially everybody who wasn't already involved in another storyline entered this scramble to win these 
medallions, which could be won and then bartered, like you could wager it in the match. And the seven people who won each of the medallions were put in a big match together, mm. and the winner of that match was able to combine all seven medallions to complete this Gift of the Gods championship. Mm. And when holding the Gift of the Gods championship, you have the ability with one week's notice to challenge for the Lucha Underground Championship. Mm. So at the same show that Mil Muertes wins the, the main championship and ends at the peak of his power, earlier on in the night, Phoenix manages to win the Gift of the Gods Championship. Mm. So we have death at its strongest right. and looming just over the horizon, life Right, right, right. Ready to bounce back. And it's the one thing, of course, it's specifically the championship that he won is the one that you can use to challenge for the one that Mil Muertes won. Right, right, right. They are locked in this eternal struggle. They can't seem to escape each other. Right. That's where we are this week. Hmm. Did they ever address uh, Katrina's betrayal of Mil Muertes? Was that ever a thing that, like, was resolved or like shown like because she like basically like had him like sort of killed and then he came back <laughs> yes he did come back and they didn't ever fully address it like she never explain sat him down that, and, yeah. she never like sat him down in front of a chalkboard to explain yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, you know, the let's go to the flow chart for this. Here's right. where your soul went and here's why it got more powerful and here's why I did it. Right. But it was definitely implied that when she when she betrayed him, it was ultimately for the benefit of both of them. Mm. And I think last time when when we watched that episode and we were wondering why he seemed more powerful and more in sync with her having right gone to the other side i think we theorized that maybe having gone through this experience gave him a deeper understanding and a deeper affinity for death and therefore katrina right and therefore they were on more of a you know more of a a unified wavelength right and i think i think the more i think about it that reading rings truer and truer yeah that's a really fascinating concept to that like I mean, all of these fighters are clearly, like, to some degree, like, fearless, but, like, he's sort of, like, unafraid of the worst possible outcome of a fight. And so that, in and of itself, even though he's, like, this representation of death, he's also this representation of immortality. Yeah, he and uh, he and Phoenix are, are alike in that regard. They are for different reasons, but yeah. both of them have a type of immortality, and therefore both of them can afford to be fearless in a way... That the other the other right. luchadors can't, because Phoenix can't die theoretically, right. and death makes Mil Muertes more powerful theoretically. Right. I did I did want to to mention that right before this showdown between the two of them happens, there's a, there is a little bit of a there is a little bit of a delay placed on the feud. Because yeah. even though Phoenix wins the Gift of the Gods championship at the same time that Mil Muertes wins the, the Lucha Underground championship, it's still a title and you have to defend it. So right. Phoenix, before he could challenge Mil Muertes, got all involved in a feud with King Cuerno, the big game hunting luchador, yeah. who's kind of like Craven the Hunter from Spider-Man. <laughs> I really like the idea of King Cuerno because... You know, luchadors place such high personal and spiritual value on their masks. Right. And here's a guy who is literally a trophy hunter, and he wants to steal these masks. Right, right, right. Just to, uh, it's you know, it's that's almost Mortal Combat. You know, right, I'm not right. just going to beat you in a fight. I'm going to steal your soul as a trophy. Right. So Phoenix gets mixed up with him for a while. Phoenix ultimately defeats him. Meanwhile. Mil Muertes is defending against Prince Puma in a rematch, and then uh, Pentagon Jr., who's my favorite Lucha Underground performer. You know, he's defending against both of these guys. And when those intermediary feuds are completed, 
once King Cuerno is vanquished and once Mil Muertes has proven that he is a dominant champion and his win was not a fluke, they come back together again. Right. And there's this moment where Mil Muertes has defeated Prince Puma and Pentagon Jr. at the same time and they're both sort of laying on the ground in mm-hmm. front of him and he's attempting to do his... His, you know, his pose with his yeah, yeah, yeah. his disciples and Katrina around him, yeah. his this signature pose of dominance, and as he's doing this, Phoenix uh, comes from the crowd. You know, the the Lucha Underground Temple has yeah. these stairs, right, kind of mimicking the, uh, the Aztec pyramids. Yeah, yeah. And Phoenix appears at the top of the stairs, so he's above, looking down on Mil Muertes from above, yeah. from a position of strength, and. He announces that, and of course the announcers before Phoenix appears are like, "Well, who uh, who else could possibly challenge Mil right, right, now?" Right. And as if answering that question, Phoenix appears, and he says, "The man of one thousand lives is coming for you." Mm-hmm. They hadn't called him that before. You know, Mil Muertes is explicitly the man of a thousand deaths. That's his right, name, right, 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 right. and the announcers would call him that. But no one ever called Phoenix the man of a thousand lives before. Right. So here's Phoenix making that explicit by challenging Mil Muertes when he's attempting to prove that he's at the peak of his strength. Phoenix is challenging him at that moment. So it's and he's doing it from up above. There's Lucha Underground. Yeah. Is, there's so much. There's so much symbolism. They they stage everything so well. Right. So Phoenix is not just challenging for the championship. He's challenging his exact opposite at the pinnacle of his strength. Right. Because Phoenix knows that at this point he has the gift of the gods. This, right. The, this, not only this championship, but this theoretical blessing, this, right. this divine mandate to challenge his rival. And I think it's so interesting that the championship is called the gift of the gods too. Right, right. And to to associate it and to make the first champion, you know, it's not just Phoenix's title. Other people can win it and other people did win it later on, but to give the inaugural reign to this guy who's so explicitly associated with life implies that the gift of the gods is life life. itself. And he's going to use that to challenge Mil Muertes. Right. It's, it's poetic. I love Lucha Underground. (laughs) Yeah. It's really deep. Multi-layered show. Yeah, you don't necessarily get that in the USA Network. You don't. And it's like, I guess one of the big revelations that I had the very first time that I watched it was the power of wrestling to be like a really effective like storytelling medium. Because I know that prior to this, I had no concept of wrestling to be that, you know. Yeah. Not to say that I just did an episode about this and in support of this, but a lot of times the story that wrestling tells is the person you like versus the person you don't like. Right. And that's right. about as deep as it goes. Right. But that's the oldest story in the book, and there's a reason it's still in the book, right? That's right. a very simple, evocative story. Right. And if you use that as the template and you build upon it with an interesting narrative and a well-wrestled match and characters with clearly defined goals and personalities, then great, your goal. Mm. But Lucha Underground always goes at least three layers deeper than that. Right, right. And I'm not saying I wish all wrestling were like that, <laughs> but I think the fact that most wrestling isn't like that gives Lucha Underground a flavor all of its own. Right. All right, so before we, uh, before we settle in to watch part three of the Phoenix Mil Muertes saga. Do you have any other thoughts about Lucha Underground, about Phoenix Mil Muertes, life, um, death? Um, uh, <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about life? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about life, but for now, I'll say let's just dive into the episode. Fantastic. Okay, so we are watching Phoenix versus Mil Muertes. It's a Lucha Underground championship match. It originally aired on 3-16-16. This was... Three years ago. Wow. God. I, the world was a very different place. The world was a very different place, yeah. God damn it. Hmm. <laughs> There's an Oingo Boingo song called uh, We Close Our Eyes. Yeah. And it's just... 
it's just this little meditation on how weird it is that time keeps passing. Yeah. Which is such a, a universal sensation, but not one that we always think about. Yeah. But at least a couple times a year for me, that hits me. Yeah. Just that, fuck, man, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you don't always feel like time is passing. Yeah. You feel like days are passing and hours are passing. Yeah. But a lot of times these huge swaths of time yeah. don't feel that different. Yeah, it, it just sort of feels like a single moment that keeps moving. Right, because you're in it. And then you look back and you're like, oh, fuck, that was six months ago? That was three years ago? Yeah. God damn. Yeah, that's also like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I'm staring 30, like down. I'm like staring down the barrel of 30. So <laughs> yeah, I'm like 30. The amount of things. That, I'm 30, what about it? Like the amount of things <laughs> that could have, like, that could be decades. Uh-huh. Or like five years or something. Like when you're young, it's like not like five years. You go from like being like 15 to like 10. But like now it's yes. like five years. It's like you've been living life for like yeah, at least but, 15 years. Yeah. And the number of things you can say that you've been doing yeah. for 15 years. Like you could say like, oh yeah, I've known that guy for 15 years. Fuck, I've known a guy for 15 years. <laughs> I, have, I have 15 year increments to spend on knowing guys. Right, right, right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's definitely a weird uh, a weird experience. And I, I don't remember the first, I think I was like 18 the first time I had it. Yeah. Where I, I just said like a very, a very dad-ish thing I, I said uh, about a, a person I knew. I'm like, oh yeah, he's a good guy. I've known him for years. And I'm like, oh. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> had the capacity to know for you. Yeah, I was just like, whoa. Now I've known everybody for years. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting place to be in. Um, I definitely think a lot about how, like, just my experience of time is totally different. I'm in what they call Saturn return, or at, towards the end of that. So it's this kind of like you're looping back around it's like you're revisiting all the life lessons you've learned up until this point and mm -hmm. just sort of solidifying them until you go through like a type of second puberty where you mature into like an adult personality and it's like been quite the trip because i've learned a lot of lessons so far so there was like a lot to revisit <laughs> but it's really wild how like it kind of takes about 30 years for you to feel at home in the world yeah like being alive is kind of like a weird trip <laughs> and then you feel like I kind of got, I mean, you never get it all, but it's sort of like, I'm like used to like this life thing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. Of course I'm, I'm already 30. So I have passed beyond that <laughs> veil. <laughs> You've seen the other side. Of... Yeah. I've seen, I've, I've stared death in the face. <laughs> <laughs> she fucking punched it. Yes. And let, let's let's all uh, join Phoenix as he punches death in the face. This is the Lucha Underground Championship match from three sixteen sixteen. It is uh, it is for free. The entire match is free on YouTube. So thank the El Rey Network for that. And we're gonna press play in three, two, one, and go. This is like back before you could get sued for having an old version of Photoshop. <laughs> Truly, the long, long ago. So a lot of uh, chest pumping. Oh, so it just pumping those pecs. Pumping those pecs. So just in case we thought uh, that the power dynamics were going to be uh, different, we still have. Although they like Phoenix looks a lot beefier. He looks around closer to the same size as Mil Muertos, whereas before there was a more visible size difference. Yeah, Phoenix I think has put on a little bit of weight. That's some new tattoos, too. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but he still seems to be having difficulty in stringing together moves against Milmortes. So in case we were thinking he was going to be, you know, his full equal in battle finally, he's still going to be uh, not as strong as Milmortes. Oof. Yep, and now he's, uh, Phoenix has uh, flipped out of a suplex. He's laying in some strikes, kick, uppercut. Bouncing off the ropes. 
<laughs> and catches him with a backflip cutter. And he seemed to go for that move two or three times before he finally was able to hit it. Yeah. Shows that he's as determined as ever. Phoenix backdrop Ooh. to the outside of the ring. He's, this is going to backfire. <laughs> I can already tell. <laughs> this just backfired. <laughs> and you are correct. Ah. <laughs> as as uh, Phoenix is driven into the ground, No Muerte spears him directly through the ropes. His head hitting the ground first before the rest of his body. Yeah, landing head first is bad. As you don't ever want to land head first. It looks like he has a monster energy drink tattooed on his back. <laughs> well, it's the source of his power. Uh, new haircut for Katrina, by the way. Karina rocking a bang. I always love these visual updates. Yeah, yeah. Just to let you know that time has passed, right? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> so Phoenix went off the top rope and got caught with a cutter... Just the way that he caught Mil Muertes with the cutter. So this goes to show that Phoenix is learning from Mil Muertes, but Mil Muertes is also learning from Phoenix. Yeah. The two biggest moves he's hit on Phoenix so far have been that cutter, mirroring the cutter from earlier, and the dive through the ropes, which is a big Phoenix move. That's really fascinating. I never thought of that before. That in a way, it's like, not to sound like whatever, but it's like these fighters like learn each other's bodies. Yeah. Almost like lovers, but in like... A violent way. No, I, I, t I totally get it. They, um, the story of there, and you don't see this all the time. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty uncommon actually that a rivalry would be this well. I mean, they do that. They do it this way in Japan, where long rivalries form a, a greater narrative. Yeah. Where each match, you know, they'll rewatch the previous match before they come. They plan out their yeah their next match, and they build upon the narratives in the previous matches and you know the the guy will go for the move that won him the last match and will have it countered and right 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 and they they make these long interwoven uh, narratives which lucha underground is doing a little bit here phoenix off the ropes Ooh. <laughs> wow and just takes a steel chair right to the dome which is ooh He's, God damn, his mask is ripped too. That's brutal. Yep. Ooh, and he's hitting him right where it's bleeding. Yep, we're getting punches to the open wound. Is that wound. real? Ooh. Oh yeah, and now we're getting bites to the open wound. Wow. That's... <laughs> yeah, well, death is not pretty. Yeah, Phoenix. Bleeding all over. Yep, yeah, bleeding all over and... Once again, in the familiar position of Ooh. of being at the mercy of death. So I guess, like, my question, <clears throat> and I'm not sure if I've asked this before, is, like, unlike American wrestling, like, is there, are this actually real? Like, are they actually, like, are they real fighters? Or are they really fighting? How do you mean? Like, he's actually bleeding. Yes, so he's he's actually bleeding, but they are not actively trying to hurt each other. They're, they're acting. Yeah, they're they're definitely acting, but they okay. but they're also definitely in pain. Right. That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's part of the part of the ritual is hey, we're gonna make it look like we're killing each other while we hurt each other, but also try to avoid injuring each other. Right. You know, it's this weird, uh, it's this weird give and take where, hey, listen, I'm going to trust you with my body. I'm going to trust you to only hurt my body to the gr the degree that we need to for entertainment's sake. Right, right. <laughs> so Phoenix was just uh, trying to do a like a tightrope walk across uh, a guardrail there and got shoved into a bunch of wooden chairs and people. And people, yeah. I, I do love that Lucha Underground has wooden chairs. Yeah. That's not something you normally see in American wrestling. Feels more organic. But Phoenix, again, jumps back up on the rail and, and dives and takes out Mil Muerte. So, if anything, the story of, 
of Phoenix in this match is he will not be denied. Right. He's going for these moves that get countered. He not only will Phoenix, in a larger sense, not be denied in his quest to defeat Mil Muertes and to win this championship, but down to individual moves, he won't be denied. If he wants right. to hit that that springboard cutter, he's going to hit that springboard cutter. If he wants to dive off the guardrail, Ooh. he's going to dive off the guardrail. And he's also going to get powerbombed into the announce table, <laughs> despite the fact that he didn't want that. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Getting his head slammed repeatedly into the... Uh, Looks like the microphone apparatus. Katrina holding the the rubble over her head. The rubble being uh, debris from the earthquake that killed Mil Muerte's family. Wow. If you remember that part of his origin. Yeah. The rubble under which he was trapped and the spirit of Katrina first appeared to him and taught him to find comfort in death. God, this is such a good show. Yeah. <laughs> so... Mil Muerte's trying to get back in the ring. Phoenix just peppering him with kicks. And now uh, Mil Muerte's sort of collapsing on the apron and Phoenix is climbing the top rope. This is how he won the uh, the Grave Consequences match that stomped to the back of the head and he fell right into the casket. Ooh. Of course, there's no casket here. Oh, and this yeah. time he's ripping on Martis's mask. Yes, this time this is the first time we've seen this. This is the first time we've seen Phoenix move to the point where he's returning every time. Mil right. has ripped at Phoenix's mask, right, in an attempt to uh, tear away his identity. This is the first time that Phoenix has been moved to respond in kind, and I guess this is the first time we're correspondingly seeing a chink in Mil, <laughs> uh, Mil Muerte's armor. Uh, he's... Now he's really pissed. He's really pissed. But at the same blood time... splattering all over. Yeah, there's blood everywhere. But you have to you have to consider that this is the first time that we've ever seen anybody do this kind of damage to Mil Muertes. The tear in the mask is such a clear visual indicator that Mil Muertes is in unfamiliar territory as far as taking damage. Right. <clears throat> He's thrown another chair into the ring. Seemingly offering it to Phoenix. I love his hair popping out of the top of the mask. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Cyclops from the X-Men cartoon. So he, he gave the chair to Phoenix, and now he's uh, punching Phoenix in the back of the head, apparently trying to drive his face down into the chair. <laughs> Phoenix is actually using it. Yep. Although, slot. <laughs> yeah, Phoenix, I, I always love when somebody throws a chair at an opponent because if you hit somebody with a chair, you can pull it. Right. You know, it, you, can, you can definitely try not to hurt them with it. If you straight up throw like a 20 pound steel chair, probably <laughs> not 20 pounds, maybe what, 10 pounds? Yeah. If you throw 10 pounds of steel at somebody, like once it leaves your hands, you there's nothing you can do. <laughs> so it always looks worse. Lamortes looks visibly hurt. Yeah, he's shaken in a way we haven't seen him shaken but before. Phoenix isn't taking the opportunity. Yeah, he's waiting for him to get up. Lamortes charges right into a kick to the face, charges into a punch, charges into another kick. It's almost like Phoenix has him scouted now. Phoenix is, you know, to take a uh, <laughs> 450 splash. One, two, and Mil Muertes escapes. Mil Muertes still has, has life in him, or death in him, I guess. But Phoenix appears to be getting Mil Muertes to charge him like a, like a matador. Mm. You know, and he seems to understand Mil Muertes' movements in a way that he didn't before. Looks like he's going for that springboard cutter again, but he doesn't have doesn't have the energy for it. Yeah. Yep. Mil Muertes catches him, plants him, one, two, and Phoenix escapes. 
Phoenix's mask is probably three quarters of the way off now. <laughs> I think the amount of close calls um, between the two is significant for more than just uh, suspense. Like, I think that between life and death, there is this narrative about time. I think you're right. I think you're right. And we're, we're getting another... <laughs> that was a Jean-Claude Van Damme-style roundhouse kick. And are we going to get a German suplex? I think if we... He can if he can... Yeah, if he can muster up the strength. Ooh, Ooh. he gets him. One, two, and Omertes escapes. Love me a German suplex. Yeah, I think you're right. As the as the match goes on, we get more and more of these close calls because as as life wears on, the line between life and death blurs. So is that what you're getting at? Yeah. All right. Yeah, no more taste is absolutely hurt in a way we've never seen him hurt before. Phoenix is is climbing the top rope now and it looks like he's hurt his leg he's like punching his leg to get some feeling back into it Mil Mortes oh with an uppercut but he still appears to be dizzy Phoenix is exhausted Mil Mortes climbs up and oh, drags Phoenix face first to the ground But Mil Muertes is himself kind of too tired to to make a pin. Very unlike the Mil Muertes we've come to know. Right. Stumbling. Now he takes Phoenix by the throat. Lifts him up. Prepares to hit him with his flat liner. This is his his instant kill move. This is what wins him most of his matches. Phoenix ducks under, counters, hooks him with a pin. One, two, three. And Phoenix steals the win. Wow. By very, 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 like, hair-thin margin. Yeah, it was not... He did not vanquish death. Because who can? But he did, on this occasion... Escape. He, he didn't just escape. He did triumph. It wasn't... It wasn't... A final defeat of death. Because that... That's not a real thing. Right. But... He... He did take... Take the gold from him. So here uh, we're seeing right now Katrina challenging uh, Phoenix to defend his uh, defend his newly won championship in one week against not only Mil Muertes but twenty eight other men in a uh, a real spectacle of a match called Aztec Warfare mm. and. Phoenix is so can exhausted. Can he recover in a week? <laughs> of course he can. He's the man of a thousand lives. But we see... We see them now sort of... You know, opposite each other. We see... Mil Muertes removed from his... Uh, sort of his signature pose in the center of the ring with his yeah. followers by his side... He's in there. His mask is torn. He he looks confused and forlorn. Katrina is doing his his talking for him, and we contrast that with Phoenix, who is protected. Amongst the people, yeah, yeah, amongst the people, and protected by them, holding the championship, and uh, yeah, ascending up the stairs once again. So that is the. Final match in the Phoenix Mil Muertes trilogy. 
what what did you think of this as a as a capstone to this rivalry? The previous two fights did not lead me to anticipate that Phoenix would win. I I guess in the back of my mind thought that No Muertes would take this away, um, but the fact that Phoenix won I think is incredibly significant. I think so too. You know, the first time he won because of the the interference of Katrina. Right. You know, life was able to stave off death because of the intervention of an outside force. Right. But of that's this kind of like psychopomp figure. Right. And then we saw in the second match, death reassert itself and say, No, death always wins. And then this time, Phoenix defeats Mil Muertes on his own at the highest possible stakes while representing life, being the literal gift of the gods. Mm. And I think giving the message that life defeats death, not in a temporary way, but in a metaphysical way, because without life, death has no meaning. In the same way that cold is only an absence of warmth, right. death is only an absence of life. Right. So without Phoenix and without the gift of the gods and without the fire that right. he embodies, Mil Muertes has no meaning. So I think it serves to illustrate ultimately that in the truest and deepest ways, life always trumps death. Also, I think that going back to the point that I made earlier about time and how there being this like narrative about time that plays out in the many close calls, it's sort of like... Not only does like life always trump death because death is just the absence of life, but death is also just the absence of time. And so like this fight to like avoid the end, whether it's the end of the match, is just like the fight to like buy more time because time is life. And so like Phoenix has this like symbol of like coming up from the ashes, being incapable, like not being able to the indomitability of human spirit and these other things also sort of represents how like time kind of heals all wounds time is ultimately like a benevolent force interesting i also think that wrapping up this long simmering lucha underground story that we've been telling now is apropos because the official word has not come down yet but all signs point to lucha underground being finished mm. it doesn't look like we're going to get any more of it so ultimately we got i think four seasons three of them pretty good yeah the last one not really <laughs> well uh, what did you not like about the fourth season? The, well the fourth season they changed a lot of the show visually los angeles turned out to be very expensive to film in they moved it to austin the facility that they got to they got to film in was not as great. They changed the color scheme up to like blue and yellow, mm. which the the red and black and gray yeah. of Lucha Underground felt more true to like the spirit of the show. Right. And also a lot of the stars that made it big on Lucha Underground in the first three seasons got more expensive too. So a lot of season four, they wound up using not as well-known and not as thematically appropriate American wrestlers. Mm. So just like Austin area right, pro right, wrestlers right, right. who were like, there was a guy named Mr. Pectacular. Like that was just his thing. He was just like a white guy with nice pecs. <laughs> I'm like, why are you in this show? <laughs> <laughs> That's really fascinating. Um, yeah, wow. This is like a super ignorant question, but like, like if you're a wrestler, for example, let's say you're like not a pro wrestler, but you're a wrestler. Like, you know, let's say you play football and you're in a team and you go to college, you go college football, then you join like the NFL. Is like the career path for like, say like a college wrestler to become like a pro wrestler? Like what makes you professional? Is it your proficiency at wrestling or your ability to act like you're wrestling? It's the ability to act like you're wrestling. So there are some people who make the transition from college or from collegiate wrestling or amateur wrestling to, to pro wrestling, but there are just as many people who come into it 
from a bodybuilding background or a football background or even a theater background. There are people who come into wrestling with communications degrees. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how the world works. Yeah, so... I have a psychology degree and I'm a software engineer. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a history degree and I sell doors and windows. <laughs> and I have a pro wrestling podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, there are, uh, there are certainly people who take that career path. Uh, Kurt Angle probably is the most visible amateur wrestler to, to go pro. He was a collegiate champion, also won an Olympic gold medal in Atlanta in 1996, hmm. and then went on to become one of the great wrestlers of the 2000s. Hmm. But at the end of the day, they're both called wrestling, but they're very different skills. They don't hit you with chairs <laughs> <laughs> in the, at the Olympics, but the kind of physical toughness that you'll need and the kind of conditioning that you'll need would certainly be of value to you okay. as, a, as a pro wrestler. So what do you think the conditioning of pro wrestling is like? The condi- I mean, how would I, if I were going to be a pro wrestler, what would I train for? Yeah. Cardio is number one. Hmm. Because depending on the style of match that you're working, you might have to be moving nonstop, essentially, for 20 or 30 minutes. Hmm. Ric Flair was one of the great pro wrestlers who ever lived based entirely on cardio. Hmm. Like, if you go back and watch his matches, he's outlasting. And then that's the story that they're telling, too. Hmm. The story that they're telling is Ric Flair has... Heart. No, not heart. He has literal cardiovascular conditioning that (laughs) nobody else has. So I guess heart. But he's got a tank of gas that other guys don't have. Right. So his big move was a chest chest chop. Hmm. So he would take his his hand and swing it at your your chest sort of like a slash. Yeah. And make contact right on the... Right on your sternum with the palm of his hand. Yeah. And anytime he saw an opening, he would hit you with one of these. Mm. The idea being that he is making it hurt when you breathe. Mm. So he focuses all of his training on his conditioning. And his attack is focused on making it hard for you to breathe. Mm. So they always said, if you're going to beat Ric Flair, you have to beat him right away. Because the longer the match goes, the more it favors Ric Flair. Right. So that was... uh, that was definitely a tool in his bag. He was he was famous for wrestling sixty minutes a night. Mm, wow. Yeah. So if I was going to be a wrestler, that would be number one thing. I mean, also just the basics. You have to train your body mm. to do certain things. Like your body doesn't want to fall on its back. Mm. You have to train your body to not tense up when you fall on your back. There are certain moves where you are going to want to tuck your chin. To protect your to protect your chin, but if you're going like head over heels and you're doing a flip, you have to tuck your head in the opposite direction. Otherwise, you'll land on the top of your head and break your neck. Right. So it's a lot of training your body to react in ways that it doesn't it doesn't naturally want to react. Hmm. And it's also, you know, one of the most important skills you have to pick up is um, being able to read a crowd, being able to understand what the crowd wants and when they want it, when mm. to give it to them. Because right. you are essentially taking them on a journey. You and your opponent are crafting a narrative and taking them along with you and, and mm. having them follow that. Mm. So if you can't sense where they are, mm. you know, if you can't figure out when to hit your big move, when mm. to punctuate you know, the stretch that you're going on or when to change momentum, then you're going to have a rough time of it. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to hook them. Hmm. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Um, it's fascinating. Like the amount of meaning that can be like wrapped up in fighting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the richest veins of, of fiction, hmm. right? I mean, yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. You've got, you've got war movies, right? You've got, you've got martial arts movies. You've got pro wrestling. You've got boxing. You've got Rocky, right? You've got fucking Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> like you yeah. got uh, superhero movies. These are all based on the idea of physical conflict, mm. probably because it's the easiest way to illustrate mm. conflict. Right. You know, here's two ideas. One of them's red, and one of them's blue, and they're punching each other. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's the simplest. It's the simplest way to illustrate a conflict. Yeah, and also like to illustrate 
like the process of growth as this kind of like dialectical play between opposing forces. Yeah. That ultimately result like this sort of thesis antithesis synthesis. Mm -hmm. um, they're resolving each other. But I'm just also like interested in, um, and this is like a, not even like a quarter baked thought, but just like interested in, um, <laughs> like, it's. I think that it's more than just like there is the fight and then all the stuff that the writers like wrote around it. Why this tendency to write around fighting in general, and that's not just a thing that wrestling does. It's a thing that a lot of different genres do. So it's like, what exactly? does the fight kind of like represent and i guess in this episode we saw it as this representation of the struggle between life and death but there's so much that happens in between these two in the time between life and death that like we also try to like illustrate through this theme of like fighting um i guess it's like a thing that i find it like worth thinking about more um what think about like fighting in this sort of like symbolic but then also literal sense like fighting as this like meaningful thing so i think fighting is used to illustrate a lot of things a lot of difficult processes right if something is resisting you we say it's you know, it's fighting you right it's not literally fighting you of course it's not punching you but the idea of physical battle as a metaphor for difficulty of any kind is powerful and it's easy to understand. You're assigning, you're assigning agency and oppositional nature to whatever challenge that you're facing mm. because it gives you, it gives you an easy metaphor. It gives you an opponent, mm. right? It gives you something to, to, to face off against. Yeah. And if something is fighting you, you can conceivably win, mm. right? You can conceivably fight back. The playing field is leveled. Mm. It might be an uneven fight, but it's still a fight. You're still in the game. Mm. So I guess, I guess that's why I would, I would guess that physical fights are so often used to illustrate struggles of other kinds which may not be inherently physical hmm. does that make sense yeah that makes that makes good sense um also like it's also like a, a a struggle for power or like dominance right so like who is the most powerful and in this sort of scene or in this uh series um between mil martes and phoenix it's like what is more powerful life or death right in more explicit terms. Um, like, what's the heavier trip? It tries to articulate, like, a formula for fearlessness or a fearlessness of death because it's like, life, if life is more powerful than death, if life is a heavier trip than death, then you're already doing something that's scarier than being dead. Yes, because if death only offers oblivion, Life, life offers a thousand things more horrifying <laughs> than oblivion, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, there are there are there are times when oblivion sounds fantastic, <laughs> right? And I don't mean that in a morbid sense. Yeah. Just like sleeping is fucking great. Yeah. Sleeping is the best. And we need to sleep because if you don't have those breaks, then life would feel. I mean, actually, I don't know what it would be like. Because I, I, the day that I moved, I stayed up for like three days, mm -hmm. and I felt fucking immortal. <laughs> but <laughs> until I, you fell asleep. <laughs> until I fell asleep. But, like, I'd imagine... It was actually a really amazing experience. Like, to be awake for that long without, like... Like, I just felt like I hacked reality or something. <laughs> and I was like... I was like... It was just... It was just this amazing... Well, that's how... I mean, we are so used to experiencing life in like 12 to 15 hour bursts, right? So then it's like finding a secret passageway or yeah, something, yeah. right? It's just like, oh, it's still going. Like I just went through this door and there's more, there's more, there's more awakeness on this side. Right. And it's like sleep defines your days 
so it like puts you in this weird place time wise where like like i remember being um by like uh the sort of square you know like 21st street um on a lunch break from school and everyone here is like like they're on like hour five of like their day mm -hmm. but i'm on hour like like 50 something of like one day <laughs> It's like I'm just in this like time category, which mm -hmm. is like entirely different, like cognitively and like so on, because and physically too, because like my body isn't I don't have the body of like I've been up for five hours. I have the body of I've been up for like fifty hours. It's it's this interesting well Like it's... my like so much story has already happened. Yes. Like in this single thing, like it's the it's the sort of like the Doctor Manhattan thing. Where yeah. he's like trying to explain to somebody how he perceives time, and he's like, "No, you just I. I can explain it, but you you won't understand, because I just. He he perceives time non linearly, right? Right. So it's just it's just different for him because he's he's in it, and and if you're if you're not in that, you can't possibly understand it. Right. So this is like an extremely low stakes version <laughs> of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I, that's always struck me about you know I had this book when I was a kid about the planets mm. and I think it's Mercury that has a year that is shorter than its day yeah because it's so close to the sun right so it takes less time for it to rotate around the sun than it does for it to rotate on its axis mm. so that's insane mm. that I mean, logically, of course, it makes sense. But given how we use days and years to define our lives and mm -hmm. define how we experience time, right. it's the sky crashing in on our heads. Right, right, right. We can't, we can't allow that. That wouldn't make sense on our planet. Right. But of course, you know, the march of days into years only makes sense because of where we lie cosmically. Right. Right? So... On any other planet, those numbers would be meaningless. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I always love that in sci-fi when aliens are like five of your Earth minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because time is so incredibly um, uh, relative. Like uh, in Hindu mythology, I believe it's the Garuda, but it's probably not. Um, there's this one story of a particular saint that had like wished for a boon to like survive the death of the planet and. In sort of Hindu cosmology, planets are born, die, and reincarnate like humans do. So it's like this Earth is like one incarnation of an Earth that has had like thousands of different, like has existed, been destroyed, existed, have been destroyed multiple mm -hmm. times. So it's like there's this one person and they, basically they take the form of this bird mm -hmm. that like survives the deaths of many Earths. And it's just flying around somewhere. But mm -hmm. it's like seeing like multiple Earths. So in the same way that we experience a day as like the sun rises and sets for that bird, like the day is like the lifespan of a planet and like it's death. And it's like, it's the, like quite the trip of like, what, how would that perceive like life? I've seen, uh, I've seen a less graceful version of this <laughs> that was used to, that's been used to like try to justify biblical literalism. Okay. Like <laughs> a topic that I love. So, like, the, the seven days of creation, right? right? Or the six days of creation, because right. God rests on the seventh day. Yeah. So, like, the six days of creation, people who want to insist that it literally took six days have to be like... Well, well God's six days. Yeah, yeah, six days for God. Days. Yeah, they're God days. Yeah. <laughs> six of your God days. Yeah. Which are different than our Earth days. Right. So it's like the span of time between like the Big Bang to like the formation of the Earth could be like seven God days or something. Sure. But it, it would seem very strange then to describe those as days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it would seem very strange to describe at all, but what do I know? Yeah, like in Hindu mythology or in Hindu cosmology, like is a day of God is like the big bang to the big crunch mm -hmm. and then after the big crunch there's like like oblivion and mm -hmm. that's like the night of god mm -hmm. and the day of god is like the universe again but because there's like bazillions of universes and this popping in and out of existence it's mm -hmm. like kind of impossible to to say that there's even like one day and night of god 
just like day and night wear, mm-hmm. like different time zones, right? Or something like, <laughs> you know. Different time zones, depending on your location <laughs> in the metaverse. Does God get jet lag? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and more importantly, does he fly first class? Sure. Yes. <laughs> first, second, and third class at the same time. Tell you that God, he's all class. <laughs> all class, yeah. <laughs> class all the way. The class <laughs> act. Known him for years. <laughs> uh, and we've come full circle. It's the circle. Because <laughs> Phoenix, because Phoenix yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, imagine that was his theme song. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so campy. That'd be great. I actually want to see pro wrestling with people dressed up as like black metal musicians. Like, why is that not a thing? Oh, with wrestling dressers. So, okay. So, like, if they just came out dressed like immortal. Okay. Well, there's Alistair Black. Okay. Uh, he's like a he's like a Dutch black metal kickboxer. Okay. That's like his thing. He has like a like this whole array of LED candles because they can't have open flames in these <laughs> arenas. But he has like an, this array of LED candles and they flood the arena with, with fog. Oh, wow. And then he, he gets like lifted up out of a casket. Nice. Like like Nosferatu. <laughs> yeah, he's a fun dude. All right, this has been another episode of I Hate Wrestling. I want to thank my guest, Julian. It's happy to be here. Happy to have you. I want to thank... My friend Corinne Dodenhoff for designing my logo. I want to thank the Novas for the use of my theme song, The Crusher. I want to ask you, on bended knee, dear listener, to like, rate, review, subscribe, comment on iTunes. And SoundCloud. (laughs) And SoundCloud, thank you. Uh, Visit me at IHWPod.com. Follow me on Twitter at IHWPod. And follow me on Instagram at IHateWrestling. Julian, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Um, not really. I was going to say something, but I'm deciding against it. Fantastic. If you need a website, <laughs> I'm more than happy to uh, design your website for you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Julian Julian Z. X E R. I. It's kind of a shoot though, because it's not like I have like a business card. That's fine. You got a LinkedIn. That's a business card. That's a business card for the 21st century, my man. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird thing to say. Um, Okay, Julie, you know how we end the show, right? Yeah. If you were going to be a pro wrestler, what would your character be? What would my character be this week? Um, My character this week would be Synthesis of Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. The same body. So like half of my body would be Frankenstein and your eye would be Bride of Frankenstein. All right. What sort of impact do you imagine this would have on your wrestling career? That I'd be, for one, similar to Mel Martins. I'd be like sort of immortal. Uh Uh-huh. But also like I'd be like this hack where like I can just have like all the best shit like because I was literally designed, like, built for this. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't built to be a human being. I was built to perform this task. Okay. But I have, like, the heart of, like, two Frankensteins, which is, like, equivalent of one human heart. All right. All right, so you're, so you're like, this... It's, like, holy and androgy- holy androgynous Frankenstein. <laughs> As like as like a representation of like the culmination of human evolution. It's like holy androgynous Frankenstein. Holy androgynous Frankenstein, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and Burt Ward can be your manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the funniest things I've ever seen is uh, Burt Ward, aka TV's Boy Wonder Burt Ward, released a line of dog food. Why? <laughs> of all the things. Of all the things. It's like, <laughs> if 
you can find photos of it. It's if if you have a thing for like bad package design. Yeah. It's the worst package design I've ever seen in my entire life. There's like <laughs> 200 different fonts. It's so busy. <laughs> <laughs> It will, it will make you, it will make you cry blood. Oh my god, <laughs> this can't be real. It's so real. I've seen it at Stop and Shop. Oh my god, this is like worse than the Doctor Bronner's bag bottle. Yeah, it's has it says so much. It is insidious. It is so bad. Why does it say so much? <laughs> While saying so little, <laughs> it's like thank you. Thank you for being all natural. <laughs> Your dog can live longer as you help us save lives. A world-class canine cuisine with healthy hearts and bones. Complete nutrition for your dog. Excellent for all breeds and all ages. From caped crusader to canine <laughs> crusade. Saving lives. This is like the longest tagline on earth. Saving lives and helping dogs live longer, healthier, and happier. Bert Ward, Robin Boy, wonderful the TV series Batman. Wowie, Zowie, your dog can live longer. It just keeps getting longer. Is trying to eat some chicken. You've got food. You've got plenty of gross dry food. Uh, 